0: Amen. Amen. Good morning, Identity Church. I hope everybody had a great week. I know that I did. Um, I want to finish up what we were talking about last week. Um, Maybe I'll finish up. I don't know what the Lord's got for us here, but I started talking to us about why Christianity. And a lot of times, you know, I was, well, I was telling everybody that I'd read an article where like 60% of the church believed that there was other ways other than Jesus, especially 18 to 35. And that's a failure of the church. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's a failure of the church because the church has not taken the time to explain the gospel. If people are in the church and they believe there's another way, then they have not been explained what the gospel is. And I think it's a failure of the church. I think that most of the time the church talks about the do's and don'ts. And we talked a little bit about that last week. We also talked about how this article incited and this poll incited that when they asked, well, could people get to God through Hinduism and through Buddhism and all this other stuff? And people were like, yes. And I'm going to be honest with you. In America there is probably only a 10th of all Americans. And I mean this because there's a whole, this is still a Christian nation. But I believe there's only about a 10th of all the population that actually understands what Buddhism is and Hinduism is and all the other isms are. Because we've all been to church and most people go, okay, I know Christianity as Jesus, right? Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But the failure of the church has been is that I'm going to tackle the social issues of the day. I'm not going to tackle what Christianity really is and what the gospel of Jesus Christ really is. And see, I think that most people that are 18 or 35 grew up in a time where society was going crazy. We're pushing the envelope. And so churches decided to grab hold of the of those social issues. And they spent more time on the social issues than they spent on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And last week we talked about, we talked about pagan worship. That even back before Jesus' time, there was pagan worship. Uh, the children of Israel came out of Egypt. They were worshiping pagan idols. In fact, we, we actually see they made, they made like a, a calf out of all the gold that they had. And if you remember that, if you remember that part of Genesis where it talks about, or Exodus where it goes through and talks about that, it actually caused a division and a split. Half the children of Israel ended up dying that day because they believed more in the pagan gods than they did in God the Father. We also know that there was all these Baal and Molech. They worshipped Saturn. Every time Saturn came into the sky, they would see They would see Saturn and they would sacrifice. We saw that Moloch was basically this this, um, like a, a bronze type of, you know, God looking thing. Half man, half like, I think bull and a bunch of other stuff that they would basically heat up. And then they would put babies in their arms and kill them. See, what we found out was that sacrifice was to appease God. Or their God. We actually saw that in, in the in times past that that Saul that he actually was into pagan worship because he would go and offer peace offerings to God in order to win battles. And God said, That's not what I'm looking for. It does not make me happy, is what God said, in order to to have a sacrifice to me. See, sacrifice to God for Israel had to do with they had sinned. And it was a way of being able to cover their sin was for the sacrifice of blood. But see, pagans do it the opposite way. Pagans look and say, I'm going to try to appease God through some sacrifice. Whether it's Moloch or Baal or even the living God." There are people who do this. How many people have, and I can't think of the name. I looked it up and by golly, I not, I've not, I, it's just left my head. But there's even a, a, a thing in the Catholic Church where they beat and whip themselves. How many people have heard that? There's a few of us that have. Uh, but, but they actually, there's there's like these people that have, that are in the Catholic Church that they will whip themselves it's a it's a penance but there's a word for it and i can't think of it but but it's a certain type of penance and they take basically a it's a stick that they have leather straps on and it has all these little things on the end of it almost like the cat of nine tails if you will and they they take their shirt off and they recite when jesus it was a scourging. They, they, that's what it, it was a pentant scourging is what it's called. And that's, that's, I believe that's what it is, Charlie. But they would take it and they would whip themselves and they would pray to God. Why would they do that? It's because they're trying to get God to be appeased. They don't understand the true and living God. If they truly understood who God was and who he was in us, they wouldn't do that. See, I think most of the time, the world, in fact, we were having a conversation last week about someone that, um, that this person knew that said that Jesus was just a crutch. And they meant it from the perspective of when I fall or when I have a problem, I have to, I have to basically get, you know, I have to feel better about myself So Jesus is that way of feeling better. But I will tell you this, that person's not the only one. I've actually run into people at work. I've run into people throughout my my dealings that says, well, you know, I'm strong enough. I don't need Jesus. See, what I want you to understand here is the fact that Jesus is my crutch. Jesus is my platform. Jesus is the ground I walk in. Jesus is everything. If somebody says that I need Jesus every single day of my life and that I'm not strong enough, I'm going to say yes. Because when I'm weak, he is strong. And when he is in me, I am strong. See, having Jesus is not a crutch like, oh, I'm just trying to feel better about myself. It's a way of feeling better. It's a way of just getting rid of my shame. Do you know that I've actually heard people say that, you know, Jesus gets rid of your shame. Well, Jesus is not trying to get rid of your shame. That was not why Jesus came was to get rid of your shame. Kind of rhymed. But I mean, I'm looking at this and saying Jesus came for a particular purpose. We're going to find out what that purpose is today. If you want to know more about Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism, and all that, listen to my last—you um, know—listen to the last message that I did. I went through it pretty, pretty in- intensely, and I also went through the fall of Adam and the law of Moses. But what we're going to start talking about today is I want to talk about God and Jesus and why Christianity was the only way. Why it's the only way to God. Christianity is the only way to God. I'm going to say it one more time. Christianity, Jesus, is the only way to God. If anybody doesn't understand that, come to me. I'll say it again to you, okay, afterwards. But what I want you to understand is is that God did not create Jesus as a way. He created him as the way. Because if he had created him just as a way to God, then that would have been a whole lot different. Because Islam doesn't believe that Jesus is the way. In fact, they don't even believe, they believe that there's one God. They're monotheists. Buddhists are atheists. They don't believe in God at all. They believe that through their works that they attain some sort of higher calling higher being in this life only some of them even hinduisms they believe that that you reincarnate and all that but we won't get into that again but what i want you to understand is who god is who jesus is and who the holy spirit is so that we can see why jesus needed to be in the only way so you got god the father god the son and god the holy spirit So in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, it says the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, so the Holy Spirit, so if you don't catch it, was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. So we have three in one all in that scripture. I'm going to show you why we have three and one all in that scripture. It's because there was three different things that happened there. Most people see it as two. There was the Holy Spirit and there was God. But what we find out is in John 1, 1 and 2, it says in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. And John 1.14 says... And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we behold his glory and the glory of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. What we see in Genesis 1 is that there was God the father. There was God the Holy Spirit. And when God the father said, there was Jesus. Let let me... Let me give you an example of how this works. Because a lot of people don't understand the Trinity. They go, man, I don't understand this Trinity thing. Why, why is it God? It's one God, but it's three. Well, it's a little bit simple, like this. Okay, think of a king. And a king would have, you know, the king didn't have to have the, you know, he was powerful. I'm the king. And he sat on his throne. And he didn't have to exert anything because he was the king. He had power. But let's just say that, that Jenny over here, that she was, she was powerful in speech. And he would go, go tell my servants what I said. And all of a sudden the curtain comes back. And all of a sudden, Jenny just goes, and God said. That's pretty loud. But you go, God said. Well, that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus was the proclaimer. He was the, he was the, whenever God would say, okay, we need to go say this. Jesus would say, let there be light. Jesus was the one that said, let there be earth in the firmaments. Jesus said, let there be fishes and let there be, All of this stuff. It was Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, that was the word of God. God would go, yeah, let's let's go do this. And Jesus would proclaim it because he was a part of him. He was was the, the proclaiming part of God. I got news for you. That's why we are like God is because we... When we accept Jesus, we have the Spirit of God on the inside of us. We have our mind, our will, and our emotions. And they're what make us proclaim, once my will gets engaged and I start trying to get out there, oh, I'm going to say and do the right actions. And then my body, just like the Holy Spirit, goes and does. What you're seeing is you're seeing the process of who God is. As much as you're seeing just three entities, you're seeing that God took the most powerful part of himself, the speaking, the word part of himself, and put it into flesh form and said, these words that come out of my son's mouth. Remember, they went on the, the mountain. Jesus took uh, what, it was, uh, Peter and, and James up on the mountain, And you know, Moses came down and you had Elisha that came down and they were so dumbfounded. They were like, we're going to talk stupid and build them tents, right? We'll make a memorial up here. And God said, shut up. Listen to his words. Well, God didn't say shut up. Dusty's version of it is God said, shut up, you idiots. Listen to what he has to say because he's my son. See, What what we have to understand here is that God is showing himself just like he shows himself in us. The process of who God is is hard to explain on paper, especially if I was to sit there and try to write all this down. I can somewhat explain the process of who God is just by sitting here and just continuing to just blather on but I still don't get the fullness of who he is, but I can give you a picture of who he is and how he interacts with us. And that's why he sent the word, the creative part of himself to the earth, because he said that the seed, all the word is is a seed. I can plant words into you and they grow. Did you know that? We've talked about this in the past. But I can sit here and I can just build y'all up. I can say, Joanne, you're such an awesome person. You do all these awesome things. You know what? God's got the greatest thing. Man, it's going to be awesome. But I can also plant other seeds. And I can go, well, you remember that time, Joanne, you messed up? <laughs> remember that? You know, Andrew Womack, would talked about a friend of his that was so, that his dad was so on him all the time that they would work on cars and he stripped out bolts because his dad goes, you're so stupid. You can't even put a, 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 a nut on a bolt. And so he said, Andrew, Andrew's there one day and he didn't have any money. So his buddy was like, well, I know how to work on cars. I at least know how to do that. But you know, he would sit there and he would rethread that nut over and over and over again. And Andrew's asking him, why did you do that? He goes, well, he goes, my dad basically used to make fun of me because that's the one thing I have a hard time with is getting that, the bolt or the nut on the bolt. And I, if I'm not careful, I'll strip it out. And he said, sure enough, he stripped it out. They had to end up going back and taking a part back because he stripped it out. Do you know that that was a seed that was planted in him by his dad? You're too stupid to do this. You know, words are seeds. I can make my kids, I mean, I put into my kids every single day the words of life. Now, we have a good time. We make fun of each other and we do all that kind of stuff. But the thing is, is that When it comes to the important stuff, I mean, I got news for you. Kaylee and Caleb, they know that they're smart. They know that they are children of God. They know that they're my kids and that I'm going to do everything that I can for them. And I'm not going to tell them that, oh, you're stupid. I'm not going to tell them that that they've got a problem. They've never known that. But you know what? They've got friends that have had that happen. They've got friends that are living out the fruit that has been put inside of them. You're never going to amount to anything. You may be going, wow, how do you turn that around? Well, I'm I'm, going to give you an example of myself. You know, I had ADD and dyslexia. Mom and dad put all they could into me. But, you know, I did have people that told me, well, you're probably not going to be a computer engineer. Uh, you're probably not going to be able to go to college. Uh, you're probably not going to be able to do you know, the job that you wanted to do. But you know what? There's lots of jobs out there for you. You can go and, and be a laborer or you can go and you might be able to be a machinist or you might be able to do this. And there's nothing wrong with those jobs. So don't hear me as, I think those jobs are beneath me. No. I pulled cable and worked on top of lighters and did all this other stuff but that's how I started but see there was there wasn't I mean mom and dad didn't know enough about I mean my dad was a meat salesman my mom I mean the closest thing she'd come to was print shops back in that day and she would use computers to do different things but I remember her buying computers her and dad and I would sit there and I would mess with them and I wanted so badly to be able to do that I wanted to but I, I just there was nobody to teach me you know and I, I went to Victory Christian Fellowship I was a laborer basically for an electrical company and I remember going in there and I don't even know what Pastor Jim McCann III was even teaching on but you know what he said you know what And you can do all things through Christ Jesus that strengthens you. And it became alive. It became alive in me. Do you know why it became alive in me? It's because I've always been taught by my parents that God loved me. I was taught from the time I was a kid by my grandmother. She would sit there and say, Jesus loves you. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. So I believed God loved me, but I didn't understand anything else. I had no hope or expectation for anything. But you know, the moment that love mixed with hope, woo! I'm going to be honest with you, it was like there was a spark that went off in the inside of me. I went from being a laborer to taking on jobs and getting into the computer field within two years. Within two years, I was working for Southern Company doing computers. Within two years, I had started college. Within four years, I had an associate degree. I'm going to tell you what, this was, if you don't know what a miracle looks like, just take a look at me. Because I didn't have the ability to be able to do this. You know, my brother-in-law sent me a thing last night. He was he was watching some YouTube videos and this thing about dyslexia came up and he he sent me the video and he was saying, is this really what you, you had happen?" And so I watched the videos, three minutes. And it was like all this stuff going on and then words would be taken away. You remember mom, I would write down a sentence that had no words in it. It would be just like jumbled up stuff and I would go, it's there. I wrote it. And she'd go, it doesn't make any sense. There's nothing there. I, and I would read it to her. And, I, and she would go, you're adding words to that sentence. And I'd go, but I read it. And that's what it says. It'd be four words that needed a paragraph. But that's the way I saw it. My, my brain would add things to it and take away. I would jumble numbers up. I, would, I couldn't do it. Now, I'm going to tell you what the most powerful part of this is. I'm going to tell you what the most powerful part of this is, is because the moment that I could do all things through Christ Jesus, the first thing I said is, God, I don't understand how to do this. And I know I'm kind of going off in a different direction, but I want you to understand that God the Father said, I'm going to help you. And you know what? He didn't enroll me in the University of Alabama because I'd have failed. I'm gonna be honest, I'd have failed. You know, it took me 11 years to go from getting my GED because I didn't graduate high school. I I went and got a blank piece of paper. But I didn't get, I went 12 years, I got, it, it was good seeing. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. And then I went and got my GED. And after I got my GED, I started a path that God would say, go to this place and go get that part of your degree. And it would be enough for me to be able to handle. See, God gives you opportunities. He would open up things where Bessemer Tech would have this little thing. And then he gave me an online course that I would take. And eventually you put enough of them together and they gave you an associate degree. It's like, whoa, what just happened? I got an associate, I'm a college graduate. You know what? After I went on and I got my bachelor's degree and then I went to UAB and got my master's degree. You know, I stood outside and I've got a ring. I look at this ring every single, every time time I put this ring on, every single morning, I say, thank you God for changing me. God, thank you. You know, Bobby was telling me about this thing and I said, yeah. I said, I would, take, I would jumble up numbers and I would take all this stuff out. And you know what the Lord would, started doing? He said, it started coming back. I started being able to write this stuff. Now, did I have to go back and proofread because I would leave stuff out? Absolutely, but God would, I would instantly go, that's not right. I would write something down and it would be completely wrong. In fact, y'all might each actually, if I'm texting you really quick, I may change things or there may be things that are out and I don't see it up front. And sometimes you have to you know, go, Dusty, what the heck did you just say? Because I still, where God put this back into me is he said, I will show you where you made the mistake. See, a lot of times people go, what healing looks like is that you never got sick. No, I was sick. I was completely and totally sick. And you know what God said? Is that I will overcome your sickness. You know, I write for the government. DOE has NERC. It's the National Energy Reliability Corporation. I'm on teams that write documents for Southern Company. I write documents. I go through. I catch things now. That's how healed I am. That's how healed I am. That's how much dyslexia and and ADD doesn't even affect me anymore because he has changed me completely and totally. And now I go and tell them what it should say. But see, God, he provides those things. And see, I'm going to get back into, I know I took a, a rabbit trail, I apologize. But I want you to understand is that when the word of God came in and it touched me, the word, Jesus himself gave me life. See, I just painted you a picture of what life looks like through Christ Jesus. Is that the moment that the word becomes agape, that living word, that it expands on the inside of you. It starts changing you. And you know what? In verse 14 of John chapter 1 it says, "And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, and the glory as of only the begotten of the father, full of grace and truth." Do you know that the truth was is that I had grace is like a gift. And truth is me going, yes, I believe it. I had to receive the gift and say it's true. Because I could have said, eh, that's not for me. I'm going to be honest. There's people right now, my mom can testify to this, it will go, oh, I don't really think you need to be saved in baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's true, absolutely. But I will say this. If you went yes, it's so much better. Isn't it Charlie? Isn't it Reba? Isn't it mom? The thing is, is that you can be saved and you can go through all this. And then he goes, Oh, I've got another grace to give you. I got some more to give you. You know, we never fully get through everything that God is putting in our heart. He just continually graces us because sometimes I, I mean, if he had enrolled me in the university of Alabama, that wouldn't have been a blessing. I had to go one step at a time through each little thing. That was what blessed me. That was what put me in there. And that's exactly what he's doing here is that he's full of grace and truth and he keeps giving you pieces of it every single day. And that we just, oh, I'm able to receive some more today, Lord. I'm able to receive some more today. I can, I can receive more truth. Give it to me. The moment we say that I've got plenty of truth, we basically start having just a stopping place. And Jesus goes, okay. But see, every day, His grace is renewed. Every day, His love is renewed in us. So this Trinity, immersion, conversion, and expression looks like Matthew 28, 16. And so Jesus is talking to the disciples. um, And this is when Jesus had been resurrected. He had come back. And so, you know, He went to Galilee to the mountain or or the disciples went to the mountain of Galilee, which Jesus had appointed for them. Verse 17 says, when he saw, when they saw him, they worshiped him. This is the thing. They saw him and some people said, I don't know if that's Jesus or not. Where'd you go get this fake Jesus? I mean, I got news for you. If. If I saw him on the cross, I saw him go in the tomb, and then now I see him resurrected, are you going to doubt? No. I'm not going to. But they doubted. Some actually said, nope, I'm just not going to believe. You know what? We're going to have some people in the church that's just not going to believe. Some of those 60%, the 18 to 35, they're going to want to appease their friends and have some sort of a, a watered-down gospel of who Jesus is to where they can say, oh, there is another way. Oh, there is other ways to God. <laughs> Don't go listen to Dusty because Dusty's just going and listen, is talking to you about that old Bible stuff. See, God renews his word all the time. No, his word has been forever. Since the beginning of time, Jesus, the word has been in God, through God, and is now in us. And it says here, some doubted, in verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them and said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing, this word baptizing means to immerse, submerge, to overwhelm, to, to make whelm. That means that when I go to make a disciple, yes, we can have water baptism. That's fine. Everything's good. But water baptism does not submerge. It doesn't overwhelm them. Do you know that I got overwhelmed when I I started making God's love, the hope that's in God created faith. And that overwhelmed me. It changed me irrevocably. I am, I'm a different person. Am I a different person? Say yes. Yes. Okay, because I want people to hear it on air. Mom's over there going, yep. Yeah, absolutely. She's not, but she's not saying yep. She's just shaking her head. Mm-hmm. <coughs> yep. <coughs> but see, what I want you to understand is that the word, when it overwhelms you, when it comes in and it completely and totally immerses you You become a disciple. And now you start throwing all that old stuff away. I no longer believe the seeds that was planted in me. The fruit no longer grows in me. When somebody says I can't and God says I can, guess what? I'm going with what God says. I don't ever believe. I mean, I've had people come up and go, you can't do that. You know, when I first started doing, the Lord started putting this on my heart to do the church. A computer engineer, I work for a company, you know. They're like, Well, you know, you could just make your career and not even worry about all that. I've had people go, Are you really serious about doing this? and I go, Yeah, I'm serious because the Lord's put it on my heart. You know, one of the things that I tell people all the time, in fact, it's one of Drew's favorite things, Andrew Gullion. It's one of his favorite things when somebody will will come against something that somebody's doing, is he goes, don't throw your pearls before the swine. Going back into Matthew chapter six or seven, I believe it is. But that's what I'm getting at, is the fact that I start going, oh, I probably shouldn't have showed you the pearl because you're a swine. I'm gonna be honest with you. I know some really good Christian people that mean well. In fact, the kids ran into one of them that probably thought he meant well, but they will try to come in and, and they'll try to go, you know what, I think I know better than you know. I'm going to give you some better advice. You don't really need to do that. Well, swine can be people of the world. It can be Christians. There can be some swiney Christians out there. There can also be whiny Christians, but we won't get into that today. But what I want you to understand here is that it says baptizing to immerse, submerge, to overwhelm them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Amen. So we see this thing that, you know, we are reborn in the spirit. And I'm going to go through this kind of quickly because we're coming, it's after the top of the hour here. But we convert our minds and we live a life that is expressing our identity. In fact, I'm going to hit John 3, 5, and 6. And most people uh, know John 3, 16, but this is the one that I think really needs to be understood by a lot of people. And Jesus was talking to Nicodemus and he answered him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit... He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So, how many people was born of the flesh? Absolutely. You were born of water. Everybody came out into this world. You were a puddly mess. Okay? So, You, there's only two ways that you, I mean, there's only two things that, that you can do in order to be saved. First, you got to be born. Okay. So you gotta, you gotta be born and then you got to be born again. You know, this is the thing. I didn't get a, I didn't get a sin consciousness and all that kind of stuff until I was born. So all these people, it's like, well, what about people who've never been born? Well, they, they weren't born. See, what we have to understand is that that sin consciousness comes to us that are living in the flesh. Now we have to be reborn into the spirit of God. And see, being reborn into the spirit of God means that I have to get rid of sin and then I have to have justification. And so Romans 3.19 says now... We know that whatsoever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. So the law gave people the ability to go, but you know that's against the law, right? How many people has those, you know, has those family members that come up and say, I got this great idea. If you put in $20,000 into this thing. And we don't tell the government about it. And we don't do this. And then somebody at the moment, it's like, they want me to pull my wallet out. I go, but isn't that against the law? And then that usually goes, I got to quit talking to him. Because he's going to go turn me into the law. So he goes and finds somebody else. See, that's what the law was there for, was to go, that's against the law. And all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds, even if you followed them, see these word deeds, it had to do with even if you, even if you met the deed, you were guilty. There was nothing that made you unguilty. The law just told you that you were guilty. The moment you crossed the line, it was like you're guilty. The only way you get out from being unguilty is you had to go to sacrifice. That was the only way to, like, cover your guilt. But it says, but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. This word righteousness, it's um, dichosini. It probably is something different. But it, the word is a Greek word that means justification. Andrew Womack says, it's just as as if I had never sinned. It's the the word that means that God sees you differently. When the righteousness is revealed, you're no longer self-righteous by what you do, but it's what he did that makes you justified. So it's just as if I had never sinned is this justification of righteousness. And it says, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. So there's no difference between Jew, Jew and, and Greek and Gentile. If we're justified by God, we're all justified by God through Jesus. You have to have it through Jesus. So it says here in um, let's see, verse twenty-three: for all of sin and falling short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace. That grace is a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God set forth a propitiation. Remember that word? We used it last time, and it's an atonement for a victim. It means that we were victimized by Adam. Adam messed up and made us this way. You know, a lot of people say, I don't wanna be like my parents. If you ever find somebody that says, well, I don't wanna be like my parents, go watch them. They do exactly the same things as their parents. They act like their parents. They're always gonna turn out to be their parents. I've never found anybody that didn't, okay? Whenever they go, well, I don't want to be like my parents. In fact, I want to get as far away from them. Those are the people that you're going to find out turns exactly into the, all the bad things that their parents did. So being justified freely by this grace, this gift, is the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. And this propitiation, this... So he basically said, I'm going to atone your victimism. All the things that Adam put in you as as your father, as the forefather, I'm now going to change by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because, Because it is in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. God said, I don't even remember those things anymore. I see you. I see a child of God. And it says here to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and justified of the one who has faith in Jesus. So real quickly, following the law did not make you righteous. It made you guilty. Anytime there's a law and you break the law, you're guilty. There's no way to say that you can unbreak the law. If I went 35 and a 25, you may go, well, that's a really stupid law. But did I still break the law? I still broke the law. So the law was not, I'm not justified by that. Now I can go back down to 25 and I can go, maybe the cop didn't see me. And I can stay under 25 as long, but then I go, crap, I hate 25. I'm going to go back to 35. Do you know that, that we can't justify ourselves and say we're no longer bound by laws? See, what God did was he said, I'm going to create the ability for you to be justified outside of your ability. So Jesus' righteousness, his justification was not from keeping the law, but it was from being a part of the family. The gift of justification in Jesus Christ is in receiving this gift by faith. The gift of adoption, Jesus is the justification and the belief as a contract. Jesus' blood was a contract on the mercy seat of God through this propitiation that said, from now on, when you see Charlie, when you see Caleb, when you see Reba, Amy, Kaylee, whoever it is that has accepted my son, there's a contract on their head. I see them just as I see Jesus. I'm going to move on forward. See, Jesus was the conduit of our redemption. Jesus, we had to have that contract. We had to have that one way forward because there was nothing that could justify any law that I ever broke. It was just to make me guilty. So sin had to be dealt with. So 1 John 2 2 says, and he is the propitiation the atonement of like a victim, the mercy seat, if you will, that contract bearer for our sins and not only ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. So Jesus came in and said, I'm going to do this, God, for everybody. They just have to believe in me, right? And people go, well, why do I got to believe? Why did he do that? Well, it's because he was the conduit. He He was the way, the truth, and the light. Without him, And without his justification, there would have been no way back into God. And some people might say, well, I don't want God. Well, guess what? Live that life. I mean, Jesus actually said, shake the dust off of your feet and move on. And some people are just going to live in hell the rest of their life, and then they're going to live in hell after. You know, people may go, well, why would God do that? How would you like to be in heaven with a bunch of, you know, people who were, un, that were like degenerates in the spirit, in, the, in their mind, will, and emotions, and be there with a bunch of murderers, serial killers like Hitler and all that in heaven? See, there's a, there's a reason why when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil because they got kicked out of the garden. It's because there was another tree in the garden called the tree of life. That meant that they would have lived forever eating of this tree of life. And that tree of life would have kept them going. And so they would have never been dead. There's some things that are better than living an unregenerated life. And see... That's what we have to understand is that God basically said, there are some people that's not going to believe in me. They're not going to do their thing the, the way that they need to do it. And so I'm not going to put them, a bunch of wolves, in the sheep pen. That's why there's a separation. And some people believe that hell's going to be this fire and brimstone, and they're probably going to be. But you know the worst hell that has ever been is that on this earth right now, the, the person who's the worst atheist, the Spirit of God, is still around them. You know, it says it rains on the just and the unjust. That means that the Holy Spirit's still trying to talk to them and still trying to give them the ability to, to work through this. But see, the moment that they die and they no longer have. Life, they're going to be separated from God in all form and factor. They will be left to themselves and their own spirit. They will never have a comfort. They will never have anything because there is nothing giving them hope. There's nothing giving them anything else other than just their despair. See, that's worse than being burned. See, we think of flames and all this other stuff, but at the end of the day, I don't want to live without God. I know that right now, even if I had done anything wrong, if I had never accepted Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit would still be here on this earth. So, Jesus was the channel for the adoption that we had. 1 John 4, uh, 7-10, it says, Beloved, let us... Love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not know love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest towards us that God had sent his only begotten Son in the world that we might live through him. This word through is dia. It actually means it's a primary preposition denoting a channel of an act. That's a mouthful. But it means that this through actually means that he is the only channel. He's the only way to be able to get through this. It's only him. You know, in John chapter 14, verse 6, it says that there is no other way to God but through me. See, what we have to understand is that Jesus said, this is the way God set it up. If you want to go to God, this is what you got to do. There are no other religions out there that has any other way to God. It's all self-righteousness that makes you go to God. Something you did. See, this is the thing is he said, this is who I am. And this is what I did for you. And it says in verse 10, in this is love. Love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be that propitiation for our sin. See, that's what we have to understand is that we have this idealism of now it's family versus I'm not part of the family. It's the debtor and the, and the heirs. It's the, the righteous and the self-righteous. Romans 8, 12, and I'm closing with this right here. And it says in Romans 8:12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not of the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the holy or by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received a spirit of adoption. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are by whom we cry out. I'm sorry, that by the Spirit himself, uh, by the Spirit himself bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we might also be glorified together. All that being said is that there are two different families. There's that family of Adam, and then there's the family of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. And what we have is we either can be dead in our sins or we can be joint heirs with him. Do you know what an heir basically means? It means that I get a part of the family, the same as if though I'd been born but it's actually, in the Jewish law, because it points back to God, it's even better. Because God can't want you to become an heir. He can't even change. He can't change the contract. Nor would he want to. It's because he chose you. It's because he chose you. You know, in adoption, like my kids, we can disown each other. But you know, when I, if I went and adopted a kid right now, I can't disown them. Now I can go to jail. DHR can come get me. But do you know that the contract is binding because I decided to take them? I went through the process. I legally am bound to them. And that's what Jesus did was he became that contract. He became the conduit. He brought us into the family. And there is no other religion. There is no other way. There is nothing that you can do in your own self-righteousness. Because all self-righteousness is, is that, well, I read my Bible today. I prayed for like an hour and a half. And I went and I prayed for some people. And I went out on the streets and I tried to get people saved. So today I'm with God. That's self-righteousness. But it doesn't matter what I did. Maybe I was a lazy butt. I got up out of the bed and I didn't do anything today. I know, yeah, Jesus is Lord. But it was his righteousness. It's not what I was trying to do. It's what he's already done. And that's the beauty of what being a Christian is. Why Christianity? It's because Jesus did it all. Jesus did it all. He didn't require us to be self-righteous. He required us to be righteous and justified in Him. Amen. I hope you learned something today. Because if you are listening to this and you say to yourself, I don't, I've, I've never heard that before. I've never really known what the true gospel was. Then what I want to do is, especially the people who are listening on our podcast, I want us to pray right now. And I want everybody to bow your head because if you say i want this righteousness where i'm not striving to try to obtain god's favor but that i want the justification through jesus christ i want to be that joint heir i want to be a child of god i'm tired of being a child of the flesh i'm tired of it then this is all you have to say is you have to say dear lord jesus I give my heart, my belief system over to you today, Lord. I believe that you lived and that you died for my sins and that you were resurrected on the third day. And I believe that from this moment forward, you have made me a new creature in Christ Jesus. And now God is my father. God is my father. And if you said that prayer, then you are saved because now He is the propitiation. He is the justification for your sins. Amen, amen. I hope you have a great week and we'll talk to you next week.